Today's episode is brought to you by McLean Middleton, providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. Hey, everybody, this is Jeff Feingold with the New Hampshire Business View Down to Business podcast with uh, our associate editor and executive and executive producer. I just promoted you, Amanda. Executive producer, Amanda Andrews. Next week, you might not be promoted anymore, but I, you know, I'll just own up to my mistake. It wasn't a mistake, <laughs> actually. She's the executive producer. There you go. And, you joining, and joining us today for our staff meeting slash podcast is Bob Sanders, our reporter, staff writer. Uh, and we're here to talk today about Bob's story that runs in the issue of the business review that came out on May 6th. It's a really uh, interesting story, Bob. It's about following bank. Bob writes basically every month. He, he follows the tracks, the bankruptcy filings in the state. He's been doing that since the Great Recession, maybe even before then. And, uh, you know, in, during COVID, it, there's been a you know, a, a, a noticeable drop in the number. However, Bob looked through the numbers for over a period of years, and he came up with some surprising, uh, you know, revelations about it. So, Bob, could you first of all explain what you would, what you did, and what was the motivation for for going through all the bankruptcy filings? Well, um, we got a call from uh, Doug Hall, who is uh, is uh, deals with school funding issues, and he was interested in the bankruptcy data. Uh, for that purpose, and he uh, came to me because I do so many of these bankruptcy stories, um, and uh, and so I was able to, um, with a little little help from him, uh, I was able to download um, all the the data uh, from um, the bankruptcy court system. Um, so without any help, they didn't give me any files. It's all public and online. And then uh, put it in a big spreadsheet, and then played with the data, and saw what I see what I can come up with. We were interested. I was interested in whether there was much difference before or after um, the uh, bankruptcy, uh, be, you know, before the pandemic and after, because the bankruptcies went way uh, way down, which is totally what people. The opposite of what people expected uh, when the pandemic hit. Uh, people thought, well, we'll go down, uh, you know, because the courts are closed and there's a lag involved, but it went down and kept on going down for years, uh, all through the pandemic, even as uh, the money, another explanation was all this money that was coming into the uh, state from the federal government, um, that that was a reason it was uh, going down because, uh, and that still may be a reason it's going down, but some of that money's drying up and it still continues going down. Um, so that was one of the things we wanted to look at. We wanted to see who was filing, what towns and uh, had the most filings, what lawyers got the most uh, cases um, and talk to some of them and uh, so that's what we did. So what was the finding, uh, the, the, the overall uh, uh, com 
conclusion you drew from from your data? What what was that? What what did you, what did you see? What kind of trends did you see in uh, in the data? Well, I was a little surprised, uh, and so was everybody I talked to. That Franklin uh, was so high uh, in terms. We looked at the number of bankruptcies filed per population, and a uh, hundred thousand, and over that four-year period, and uh, from uh, from from uh, 2018 pre-pandemic to 2000, the end of 2021. Um, and Franklin just uh, like way above the even second place. They had like about nine out of a hundred thousand uh, filings. Um, really like, like yeah, the rate was nine filings for each hundred thousand residents. That was a population residents, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, I think the second place was uh, I can actually look this up right now was. Uh, Hill, which was right next door, and that was nine as well. But then uh, went down a couple. There's Campton, and then you have Fitzwilliam, about seven. That's a pretty big uh, increase, uh, or you know. And uh, we really, I mean, there were some things about Franklin that uh, there was nothing particular about Franklin that made it. Uh, they have some poverty measures that that um, might uh, include them. Uh, they're property poor. They want part of the Claremont suit. In fact, a lot of the towns that were in the Claremont suit were up top. Not Claremont itself, but uh, Alice Town and Pittsfield uh, were were up on the top top rung. Um, I just, I just want to go back on this. You said there were nine filings per 100,000 residents that everybody knows out there. I assume most people know that Franklin doesn't have 100,000 residents. So it's just, it's just a, it's, a, it's like kind of a ratio you use to figure this out. But what that means is Franklin has a lot fewer than 100,000 residents. So how many residents is it, like 6,000 or something? Is that what the population is? Eight? Maybe um, I have to go for another file to figure this out. So <laughs> that's um... all right. But what I'm saying is, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty high number of bankruptcy filings, uh, for for a um, for a small town, and especially considering that it's right next door to Hill, which is the other second highest. It was it was quite an interesting finding, but the the other thing that that I just wanted to mention was that when you look at the list of those towns, it does stand out that a lot of them are, are the so-called Claremont towns. But it also right. stands out that, that they're like, they're almost like in a certain geographic area, like in between Concord and somewhat north of the Lakes region. And, and it's just like a strip, almost a stretch of, of, of bankruptcy filings. So right. is there any, right. are, any kind of explanations for that or? What'd you find? Um, well, you know what? We did kind of look at different factors. One was property taxes, which was there was a pretty good correlation. In other words, if you're a property poor town, there was more bankruptcy filings. The other thing is that uh, um, we looked at medic Medicaid um, population per 100,000, the same, you know, and um, and there too, there was a pretty, it was even better correlation. 
which isn't that surprising because a lot of people file for bankruptcy because of, uh, of medical issues. Um, in fact, it's the single most uh, reason that people file. Um, in fact, it's a lot more than one of the things that, that doesn't correlate, and this is a surprise, is unemployment. Um, hmm. People always thought, well, people file for bankruptcy because they lose their job. Well, there was no correlation about it this time, anyhow. Um, but that wasn't that was true before or after the pandemic. So, um, you know, the the uh, a lot of people who file for bankruptcy, they, they are working. They just can't. They're just not making enough, or they have bills they can't afford to pay. Um, so, um, so anyway, there was no correlation. We couldn't find any connection between unemployment rate in the towns and the, and the bankruptcy percentage. One of the things that, I, that I've read many times over the years is that one of the big causes of bankruptcy, if not the biggest single cause, is uh, uh, medical bills that people have that they can't that they just get overwhelmed by these huge uh, medical costs and they just have to declare bankruptcy to to you know because they can't afford to pay the bills anymore. Is that something you explore or is that something that you think uh, Doug Hall will explore in his further look at working on this? Well, again, the Medicaid thing does give an indication because people, uh, just because you have a lot of people on Medicaid, it also means you have a lot of people who just miss getting on Medicaid. And those yes. are the people who don't get their bills paid. So, um, so that, that's that may be uh, a big part of it. I, I think Doug's going to mean look at school funding and the Claremont issue would be kind of interesting for him to explore. Um, one thing is that doesn't correlate, we're pretty sure, is student debt. In fact, the lowest uh, number of filings are from Durham and Hannaford and uh, oh, Hanover. Think, uh, yeah. What? Yeah, right. Hanover. Yeah, Hanover and and Durham. Uh, and, and this is, you, you can't get, you can't file for bankruptcy to get out of student debt for the most part. Um, no. so, um, so that that's, uh, they have to find, they're too young to have the big medical bills for most of them. So, uh, so that's not surprising at all. Um, yeah. Okay, anyway, I just want to take a break and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. McLean Middleton is one of New England's premier full-service law firms with headquarters in Manchester, New Hampshire and offices in Concord and Portsmouth, New Hampshire and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. McLean Middleton has over 100 attorneys in five locations and has been providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. A full-service law firm with practice areas in corporate, tax, employment, litigation, trusts and estates, energy and environment, intellectual property and privacy, and data security, to name just a few. McLean Middleton's commitment to their clients, community, and colleagues has helped them to establish and maintain long-standing relationships as trusted advisors. Whether you are starting your business, growing your business, or preparing to sell your business, McLean Middleton has the experience to guide you through the complexities of the legal system. 
For a complete listing of their practice areas, attorneys, and locations, visit www.mclane.com. Hi, we're back with uh, Down to Business with uh, Bob Sanders is on today talking about this report he did on where in the state the most bankruptcy fi uh, bankruptcies are filed. And it was really kind of uh, enlightening about it. It's, it's, it's like a, almost like a geographical, uh, it, it looks like it's a geographical uh, uh, distribution, but it's not really, but it there's just no, there's just it's just a really uh it's got some it raises more questions than it gives answers your reporting and i don't i'm not you saying that as a criticism i mean that's really what it does it makes you start thinking about okay why is this happening so we've been through the the pandemic we've been through a recession because of the pandemic and for the most part not for the most part uh the the we new hampshire on the whole has seen a huge drop in the number of bankruptcies since the pandemic we're talking about records each month almost there's a record low number of bankruptcy filings but in certain parts of the state in certain communities there's a it, it's it's still a pretty high it's much higher than the rest of the state and it's in communities that are in certain parts of the state and have in many cases have a certain economic demographic that is not you know, you're not, we're not talking about the wealthiest towns in the state by any means. Mm -hmm. So are there any other things you looked at, Bob, besides, you know, what we were talking about? Well, we wanted to see what the, what the drops were in bankruptcies. Um, and um, because all of them fell, uh, but some fell more than others. Uh, Business-relating bankruptcies uh, fell by about a quarter. Um, then you get your general consumer bankruptcies, that's chapter seven for the most part, and they fell by about a half. And then there is the um, chapter 13 bankruptcies. And these are basically a kind of a reorganization that allows you to keep your house, basically. And, um, and they fell by um, uh, even more, by three quarters. Uh, and I talked to some lawyers about this, and they said that, that the foreclosures have been basically non-existent, uh, very few foreclosures, um, uh, because first there was a ban on foreclosures, just like there was on evictions. And then, you know, there's there are various uh, programs to work out things, um, to renegotiate uh, debt, to... Uh, forgiveness, uh, so forth, that uh, banks were participating in. And uh, so uh, so the, for the bankruptcy attorneys, it's, it was, it's actually, I don't know, not many people feel sorry for them, but uh, it's been tough. Uh, you know, they just haven't had much business. Yeah. As someone once referred to auctioneers, they're the businessman's undertaker. <laughs> yeah. But um, so the other thing I wanted to do is just listen in on some of these bankruptcy hearings. You know, there's they don't go to court anymore. Um, they go, it's all virtual. Um, it's actually not even virtual, it's by phone. They, they go to this hearing uh, and uh, where they talk to their creditors. 
which is more important than the actual court hearings because most routine bankruptcies don't deal with courts. This is the only chance where people get to, to well, used to look you in your face and see if you're telling the truth or not. So, um, so in this case, they, uh, uh, they have to do it. They swear <laughs> they're supposed to raise their right hand, but who knows if they're doing it. <laughs> and they just go through these same questions like reading a form. Um, but when you go through the actual filings, you just talk to some people like I talked to this one woman uh, right after the hearing. Um, and um, and she, uh, you know, among her assets in her bankruptcies in, include an old, uh, an old upright piano and a parakeet. Um, and uh, you kind of get this, that you get all these numbers, but these are real people who are trying to uh, go on with their lives. She was homeless for several years. She kept her job the whole time, but she was homeless. Um, she was working at uh, a retail store and um, she got um, a lot of times people get divorced to get bankruptcy. I think her case, she got married. The person was on disability. But uh, she went from a family of three, from two kids from a previous marriage to a family of five uh, when she was the only one working. And uh, she just couldn't cut it. And when she lost her apartment, um, she, couldn't get, she didn't get the mail and she didn't, uh, wasn't able to, you know, the interest just built up and she just had to file. Um, so, just think of these, there were about 5,000, more than 5,000 filings in this four years, even with the record low in the last two years. And um, each of them is a story, you know, of their own. It could be somebody yeah. who just buys a motorcycle and a SUV because they're working a lot of hours and then they crash, not on their car, but they, they just can't handle the work, the overtime. And then when they, they, you know, downsize a little bit, they, they find themselves over their heads. Um, yeah. Lots of things like that. Yeah, you know, it makes me think about what if what would we be talking about today if the bankruptcy law wasn't changed in the 80s, you know, if, if it made it easier for people to file, if we'd be seeing more of that now, but that's just speculation because it was tightened up really severely in the 80s to, to basically make it much harder to file for bankruptcy, especially if you're a, an individual. You know, I don't know about corporations so much, but I know individuals have a much higher bar to to, uh, to pass, to, to uh, go over than uh, than they had before. Cause now, and now yeah. it's, you know, now, but now it's, you know, it, it's obviously if you, you're in bankruptcy, it's not a good thing, no matter what the rules are, you know, for the most part. Well, I think for corporations, it can be a good thing because uh, yes, yeah, it's a way to unload their property, uh, their assets, uh, and, and get rid of a lot of debt. Um, and there we're talking, you know, millions of dollars. Uh, I've covered, those are the kind of bankruptcies I've covered. I felt yeah. like we really just talk about some of these more ordinary day-to-day -day filings that make yeah, up the vast majority. 
you know, which is a vast majority of, of bankruptcies, individuals filing, you know, households households filing for bankruptcies. So, Bob, do you have any plans to do anything more with the, on the bankruptcy front? You know, looking at this stuff more, or looking at another other angles on this. I'm I'm trying. I don't have questions. I think the data will answer. But if you're looking for the future, we just got the data of all the property records in New Hampshire. And we're going to be looking, analyzing that, uh, particularly looking at out-of-state buyers that people say are driving up the price. Um, it's a little bigger file. Instead of 5,000, it's about 700,000. Well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, Bob. We'll have that story done in two weeks. <laughs> I told you this was an editorial meeting. <laughs> But anyway, I know so it, it really it really is fascinating to look at at these numbers and then the towns that are involved and you know in in some cases it's predictable who would have the fewest who have the most but others it's kind of surprising to see the list and uh, I I just I just think it, it it's it's interesting data to look at only because New Hampshire New Hampshire does have a, a unique school funding uh, situation and. When you see all those, so many of those property poor towns having the highest number of bankruptcies, it does make you kind of wonder what's going on. But that's not for me to decide. I'm just making my observation. So, anyway, so Bob, thanks for joining us this week. And Amanda, same to you, the executive producer. Thank you. Okay. And this is Jeff Feingold saying, be well, everybody. <laughs>